morning, Calvary. Happy New Year. It's going to be a good 2020, my friends. And we are starting a brand new series this morning talking about the church. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts, where the church began. If I were to ask you this question, what do you think the answer to it would be? What is the largest, most racially, nationally, globally diverse group of people on planet Earth today? It's the church. That's right. It is the church, those who follow and love and worship Jesus Christ. And we're talking the Big C Church. It is the Big C Church that isn't a place that you go, but it's the people who gather. It's the people that believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Those who have turned from their sins and turned towards Christ, that recognize Him as the Son of God and worship Him. And we gather all over the world in different cultures, in different states, in different, in different nationalities, speaking different languages, worshiping Him together this morning, throughout the week. In fact, Christianity is exploding today. Missiologists, those who study the acts of missions and evangelism, talk about the explosion of Christianity. And, and you might think, that's just odd. I don't really see that here in the Boulder County, Weld County area. And it's probably because the, the center of Christianity has shifted from the global north to the global south of Latin America, Africa, gone through the Middle East. And, and actually, South Korea is the number one country sending missionaries in the world. And China is sending missionaries in the Middle East. And Christianity is growing. It's actually growing faster than the population is growing. Meaning that it's not that simply that Christians are having Christian children, that children are becoming Christians in Christian households. It's that people are turning into Christ. And Christianity continues to grow. In fact, in the last hundred years, we have seen an explosion of Christianity to where the smallest amount of people on the planet ever have not heard the gospel yet. It's awesome. The question is, how did that happen? How does a group that does not belong to the same cultures, ethnicities, speak the same languages, men and women, young and old, how do we come to find unity together, to sing the same songs, to open up the same books, to worship the same God? That is the story of Acts. The story of Acts is the early church. And church, as we said, is not the place you go, but the people who gather it is the word ecclesia, those who are called out, the called out ones. Originally referred to as the way, the community of people that were referred to as the way, they followed the ways of Jesus. It's called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ in the scriptures. It is the people of God. How did this happen? Where did this come from? We're going to trace that in the book of Acts. And hopefully our vision and our image of what the church is grows in us and the importance of the church Ephesians tells us that Jesus so loved the church that he gave up himself for her. So that the church would be born, Christ died. See, if Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her, then the church demands, the community of believers demands more than a casual glance or a nominative engagement. The church is the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. We live in the age of the church in which the church ministers to the world, is the messengers to the world, is reconciling the world back to God. And we're going to see this as we look through the book 
of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles, grab, grab one. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you. We're going to Acts chapter 1. I hope you have a Bible with you. If not, if you're grabbing the journal, that's awesome. If it's that time of the year that you just want to buy yourself a really nice gift, you buy yourself a Bible, that'd be great. Download a Bible app, whatever. We're hoping that you will stay with us as we journey through this each week, going through the book of Acts, that you'll be able to circle things, make notes, highlights, that your faith would grow. One of the, the core commitments here at Calvary is biblical teaching. Like, we're not interested in doing pop culture series talking like to tickle your ears or to, you know, do something that just is motivating, a motivational speech. Our desire is to open up the living, active word of God and that a steady diet and exposure to God's word empowered by the spirit brings transformation in our community. And so we're going to be committed to just teaching through the Bible. And so we picked up the next book, the book of Acts, to teach through the book of Acts, to build up our faith, to, to encourage us and strengthen us in the Lord. And we're going to find in Acts that we, we're going to find ourselves, that Acts is this church that is finding itself in a culture similar to ours. In fact, we actually are, in, are probably more in an advantageous era than they were. They're, they're going to be in an era where the, the church wasn't accepted, that the, the culture was hostile, that the, the political and governing officials had no interest in carving out space for the church to exist. That the church is birthed in a, in a culture that is, that is loving plurality. I'm talking about all roads lead to God. That there's truth for everybody. That's personal. It's relative. It's, it's in a promiscuous, a promiscuous culture that doesn't hold the same moral convictions as the church. And many of us sometimes find ourselves discouraged by the culture we find ourselves in. And so the Acts will teach us how we live as Christians. How we live as part of the church in the world that we find ourselves in today. It speaks to our contemporary times. And not only will it teach us, but it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us to maybe strip away some of the things that we have grown accustomed to as probably pieces of the church that aren't the fullest or truest piece of what it means to be in the community of believers and give us a clearer picture. Hopefully it'll give us an inspiring picture to excite our hearts and our passions for the mission of God through the church. I get to read so much as I study through the book of Acts. I love it, and I just have the best job ever. One of, one of the scholars I was reading, Ajith Fernando, as he sets up some of his writings on the book of Acts, he brings about that the book of Acts challenges the modern Christian in so many areas. And he made a very comprehensive list. I've highlighted three to five of them that I think we need to lean into. That Acts as a, as a book is written to a society of individuals, of individualism reigns, like a culture like America, where the church also seems to have adopted a style of community that guards the privacy of the individual. The early church presents a radical community where the members held all things together. It will challenge our individual American ideals and drive us back into the community of believers. Into a society that focuses on selfishness, is sometimes admired, and each one is left to fend for himself or herself. Acts presents a group of Christians who were so committed to Christ and the cause of the gospel that they were willing to sacrifice their desires for the good of others. 
into a society where pluralism defines the day of the age. There's something subjective, as something subjective or personal, Acts presents a church that based its life on certain objective facts about God and Christ. Facts that were not only personally true, but also universally valid. And therefore had to be presented to the entire world. In an age when many churches spend so much time, money, and energy on self-preservation and self-improvement, Acts presents churches that release their most capable people for reaching the lost. Here's, here's two more. In an age when many churches look to excellence in techniques or programming to bring success, Acts presents a church that depends on the Holy Spirit and gave top priority to prayer and moral purity. Lastly, in an age when many avenues are available to avoid suffering and therefore many Christians have left out suffering from their understanding of the Christian life, Acts presents a church that took on suffering for the cause of Christ and considered it a basic ingredient of discipleship. We will be confronted with the earliest church, their convictions, their passions, the things that they saw, their eyewitness accounts, the historical record of the things that they did. And we want to be taught, corrected, inspired to love the church, the community, the people you're sitting next to, and those in your community that need to be here as much as the early church loved theirs. That's my prayer. So let me just pray that to the Lord for us, and then we'll open up Acts 1. Father, that's my heart, is that we would see the church, that this would be the church unleashed, that we would see the church on mission, that we would see the Spirit of God in the ways that you radically transformed individual lives, families, communities, and the world. And Lord, give us a vision for the mission you have for our own life in our own local church here in Erie and in Boulder. Father, help us to model our lives after the things that we see here in Acts. Be our teacher, Lord, now this morning. I pray that the word of God, by the power of the spirit of God, would now awaken us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear the things that have been recorded for our benefit, for our faith. It's in your name we commit this time, Jesus. Amen. All right, you got your Bible, grab it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and we're going to spend two weeks in the first eight verses. Verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering and by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends 
of the earth. So the very first thing we have to do is, is before we jump into the preaching part of all of this and how awesome it is to be on mission, what it means to be on mission next week, we're going to kind of get our hands around what Acts is, what Acts isn't, who, who wrote Acts, who's, who received Acts, what's the purpose of Acts. And so we want to look right here in the very beginning and, and look at some of the highlights of the people who are named here. So we're going to talk about this man named Theophilus, the author of the book of Acts, which is a man named Luke. Talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the apostles. These are all characters named here in the first few verses that are very important to understanding the book of Acts. In fact, let's first start with the title. Talk about title of Acts. It's the actions of. And people ask the question, well, who is this the actions of? Who is the primary actor? And if it's in your Bible, it might say the Acts of the Apostles. It could say the acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what we see is these are the actions of the early church leaders, the apostles. Peter, we're talking about Philip, we're talking about Paul, all the, what, what they did. And then some would say, but, but they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is showing up everywhere. I mean, we're going to do a deep dive into the Holy Spirit as we go through this whole book. What it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's not the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And others had made another suggestion, and this is the camp that I would land in, is it's not simply the acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the apostles. But remember that this is the second book that Luke has written to a man named Theophilus. And the first book was all about what Jesus had began to do. And the author Luke, who writes here, wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so this is a two-part volume written by Luke to the same person. Volume one is the Gospel of Luke. All that Jesus began to do, the ministry of Jesus, the miracles, the message, all the way to the cross, death, and resurrection. And now he writes what Jesus continued or promised he would do. And so if you're looking for a title for the book of Acts to put in your journal, I would suggest this title, that it is the Acts of Jesus through the Spirit by the apostles. That's what Acts is. It's the Acts of Jesus is all pointing back to Jesus through the Spirit. The Spirit is a primary player. By the obedience and faithfulness of men and women like us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so here Luke is writing to, that, writing to this man, Theophilus. And this introduction is very similar to his first volume in Luke. And so flip it with me, just a, a, like a book back to Luke chapter 1. And we'll say a, a similar introduction Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so Luke is, is a physician. He's a well-educated doctor. We actually know from the book of Acts that he's a travel companion of many of the ventures with Paul. He becomes a dearly beloved saint of Paul himself. And being an eyewitness to many of these accounts, or having interviewed, like a journalist would, many eyewitnesses, he writes a historical, truthful account in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And he writes both of them to a man named Theophilus. And we don't really know who Theophilus is. He's probably a patron who perhaps has paid for this endeavor to be done. 
it's very, very expensive to do a work like this in the first century. And there's a limit of how long you can write your book and what you can include in your book because it all has to fit on one scroll. And based on the length of Luke and Acts, we know that it's, that it's going to fit on probably the length of a scroll being 32 or 35 feet long in, in total. In fact, Luke and Acts are the two longest books in the New Testament. And they're written to Theophilus that we don't know much about, but his name means lover of God. They're written to Theophilus for this reason. Did you pick it up in Luke? I, I have done what other people have done. I've investigated the claims of Jesus Christ and the works of Christ, and they're going to be the early church, and I have written them down in an orderly way so that you would believe. I've put the evidence on the paper, Theophilus, so that you can have certainty of the things that you have heard are trustworthy and true. I want to build up your faith that you would believe in Christianity, Theophilus. And so I've made two volumes, an account of what Jesus began to do, and it's the work of Christ to the cross. And now I write to you in a book called Acts of the work of Jesus Christ from the cross, an orderly, historical, factual account so that you would believe the claims of Christ and become a Christian, perhaps. And so perhaps you're in the room and you have doubts. Perhaps in your room, and, and, and because of the last, last season of life, your faith seems to have dwindled. My encouragement is this. Lean into Acts. Come and see the historical, trustworthy account of the works of God. Lean into the speeches, the sermons that Peter and Paul and Stephen speak about Jesus and the mission of the church and who you are in Christ. The validity of the scriptures being fulfilled and the trustworthiness of your faith. Come see the miracles and the power of God over people's individual lives. Come see the racial reconciliation, the generosity of the church, that you too would be built up in Christ. Come do what Theophilus wanted, to see an orderly, factual, historical account of the trustworthiness of Christianity. The work that Jesus began is Luke. The work that Jesus continued is Acts. And he writes to Theophilus, and the first thing he tells Theophilus here is about the resurrection. He says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the first thing he wants to show in the proofs is that Jesus truly died, buried, rose to new life, and after his resurrection, for 40 days, he began to show himself with many proofs and teach his disciples the truths of the scriptures. Because Christianity, with no resurrection, is worthless. It's worthless. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then we are to be most pitied, Paul says. And so let's start with the very, mo very most fundamental thing, is did Jesus do what he said he would do? Did he die on the cross? Did he raise from the dead on the third day and present himself to many witnesses? Hundreds at one time, Paul tells us. Well, if you go back to the account of Luke, flip back to Luke chapter 24, this is exactly what he did, and he's reminding Theophilus about it. So Luke 24, we'll pick it up in 36. This is what Jesus did for 40 days after his resurrection. This is like all the way through January, through most of February, here is Jesus presenting himself to his disciples 
and those around as eyewitness accounts. Verse 36. This is the disciples. As the disciples were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? So here are the disciples talking about, Did Jesus really raise from the dead? The women said they saw him. Maybe Thomas said they saw him. I mean, did Jesus really resurrect, and not like revive his body, but resurrect his body? Did resurrection really happen? And then Jesus shows up. And they think, well, maybe it's a spirit. Maybe it's a Casper the ghost. This is weird. What's happening? And Jesus says, why is there doubts in your heart? If you have doubts in your heart, friend, you're in good company. The disciples who walked with Christ, listened to Christ, watched him die, even some who saw him live afterwards had these doubts. Is this really true? Could resurrection really have happened according to everything that he had said? And so Jesus shows up not as a spirit and not as simply a revived body, but as resurrection to show them with many proofs. Look at verse 39. It says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. It's not just like there's spiritual resurrection. No, in Christ, there's bodily resurrection. Come touch my body. See, it's me. It's not like, oh, is that Jesus' brother? It kind of looks like Jesus in the shadows. I mean, can he come into the light? No, Jesus is there. Touch me. See with your eyes. I want to show you proofs that I'm alive. He doesn't do this just once. He's doing this for 40 days. When you read this in Luke, you think, oh, maybe he just showed up once. But if Jesus showed up just once, wouldn't you say, man, what, did you guys see Jesus yesterday? That was weird. Did, did we dream that? What's going on? But then he shows up the next day. And he says, oh, I know, I know you still have some doubt. Touch, touch my hands again. And three days later, is this, is this really for real? Yeah, touch my feet. And then he does the coolest thing, I think. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. That in resurrected bodies, they're still the means of food. Yes! <laughs> we still get to eat! And here's Jesus showing, okay, I'm not just a spirit. Nor am I just like a figment of your imagination and something that you don't understand. No, I am, as I promised, a resurrection in bodily form. And man, death is, death wipes, takes it out of you. You got something to eat? And you see that Jesus actually eats several times with his disciples. And the hundreds of eyewitnesses get to touch and see. And with many proofs, he shows that resurrection is a historical fact to the Christian belief. It's a historical fact. And so here, back into Acts, that's what he's telling Theophilus, that after his historical resurrection, knowing that you, Theophilus, might doubt, the disciples doubted, many still didn't believe, Jesus spent 40 days, 40 days, with eyewitnesses, hundreds, that would touch him and see him day after day, share meals with him, so that they too would have the certainty of faith that Christ rose from the dead. And then he goes on, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. 
that you're going to be baptized, not with, with water like John the Baptist was baptized, but with the Spirit of God promised by the Father. And so we see right here in the first four verses of the birth of the church, the beginning of Acts, the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the promise of the Father we see here. It is the power of the Holy Spirit they're waiting on. And it's the presence of Jesus with them. And when the fullness of the God has revealed, you can see the beginning of the church. That you, we see the fullness of the Godhead in several other places in the scriptures. Genesis 1.1, the birth of creation was from the Godhead. We see that the birth of Christ, just this last Christmas season, the fullness of the Godhead was present. The fullness of the Godhead was, was present at Jesus' baptism, crucifixion, resurrection. And here the fullness of the Godhead is present. It's always together. It is one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right here together, giving birth to the church. And Jesus tells his disciples, don't go try to do this on your own strength. Okay, yeah, you have convincing proofs. Yeah, you've seen me. Yeah, I've, I've taught you the scriptures and you've seen the things that I have fulfilled. But don't go out and be witnesses on your own strength. It won't matter. The church would fail if you tried to minister out of your own strength. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, where did Jesus promise the Holy Spirit? Several places. One particular is back to Luke 24. So go back to Luke Chapter 24, continuing in his teaching of the disciples, he tells them that they will come a day when they're going to be witnesses and that they will actually have the power of the Holy Spirit on them to enable them to accomplish the mission. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So he gives them sermons and teaches them and instructs them about the words of God fulfilled. And then... And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The disciples are not to leave Jerusalem, start the ministry, or try to expand the church apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, which is promised by the Father. The Apostle John, who was also an eyewitness to the ministry, the death, and life of, of Jesus Christ, writes in John 14, the promise of the Holy Spirit in John 16, the promise of this helper, that Jesus says, okay, I'm going to leave, but it's better for you, church, if I leave, because then the Father will send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to do a couple of things that you can't do. And so you need the Holy Spirit, John tells us. And here it record that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of its sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So John records for us that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, the, the way that we were ever convicted of our sin, the way we were convinced of being, need to be made right with God or that judgment's coming, the only way that that happened for you or for me or for anyone that you love is the work of the Holy Spirit. You have no ability to convict or convince anyone that Christianity is true. 
as the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, disciples, don't leave Jerusalem without the power of the one that will make this thing unstoppable. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not come upon it. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the one that advances it. It is because it is of God, not of men. It is not our cleverness, it is not our great speaking, our great programs that makes the church effective. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's it. And we have no desire to minister, even today, apart from being filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit as the main energy, the power of ministry here at Calvary. And so he tells them, wait on that spirit that's going to have that. And then that spirit's going to do two, another thing, do two more things. It's going to teach them all things, guide them into all truth, reminding them of what Jesus had told them, and bring glory to Jesus. He's not going to speak on his own accord, Jesus tells us in John. But he will bring glory to Jesus. And so this spirit is absolutely vital for the ministry of the early church. Without it, the church fails. Now the last piece is, this is the works of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to convict and convince the world. But it's done by the disciples. That God loves to do his work with participants. Some willing and not, some not so willing. But he chooses to accomplish his work through participants. Those who are coming alongside, moving their life onto God's agenda. And so the disciples are called to be witnesses. So go back to Acts chapter 1. That you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In just a couple of weeks we're going to get to the baptism of the Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses to the whole world. Now, if you're these 11 apostles, this small band, people that didn't believe you, people that put you on the outside of culture, that have seen the resurrected Christ in Jerusalem, and you hear this message, the 11 of you are going to change the world. You're going to take this message to the ends of the earth, places that you don't even know exist today. You would think, how is that possible? Well, do not leave Jerusalem. Do not begin that mission apart from the Holy Spirit. But God's heart, you have to see here, God's heart is always for the whole world. They asked Jesus this question. Is it now time to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're so ethnically minded. Is it time to restore us? And Jesus is like, okay, time, time out. We'll talk about times later. We have to understand God's heart is not just simply for us. It is for the world. It will begin with us, and then it will go to the world. I'm going to resource you for the sake of others. You're going to have experiences for the sake of others. You're going to have visions for the sake of others. You're going to be resourced for the sake of blessing others. And that is the mantra of the church, that we have been gifted. We have been resourced, not primarily for us, but for the advancement of the gospel and the sake of of others, to the world. And so next week we'll unpack what it looks like to begin in Jerusalem. What does it mean to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? And how that actually structures the entire book of Acts. The first part is in Jerusalem, and then you see it in Judea and Samaria, and then we see it to the ends of the earth, even into Rome. And we're going to see that Luke, as the author of two books, the gospel, the things that Jesus began to do, and the things that Jesus continued to do, have great parallels. Where Jesus ministered in Jerusalem, we're going to see the disciples ministering in Jerusalem. When Jesus moves to Judea, we see the church moving to Judea. When Jesus moves to Samaria, we see the church moving to Samaria. When we see the church moving to the ends of the earth, we're seeing the mission of Jesus Christ 
promised being fulfilled. These are amazing parallels that point to the reality, the historical reliability of the work of Jesus Christ through the Spirit by the apostles. Now, let me tell you one last thing. The book of Acts can be a bit hairy. If you haven't read it lately, I encourage you this week to sit down and read it and then circle some of the passages. You say, I can't wait for them to get here and talk about this. This is wild stuff. And it can be a bit hairy and controversial that almost all churches take Acts and go back to it and say, because of this in Acts, this is why we're the truest version of the church. This is why what we believe about baptism or what we believe about the spirit or what we believe about giftings or what we believe about church leadership is because the early church said it is. And it becomes this dividing ground of churches. And many will come to Acts and they'll look at Acts as prescriptive. And they'll say it's prescriptive in the sense of it said it, that's the way we're supposed to be, and so we just take it like medicine. It's prescribed to us to do exactly the way it's done here. Others will come to Acts as more of a pattern or descriptive, saying this is the pattern of the early church, and though it might look differently for us, we will pattern our church and our lives and our mission after this. And you're asking, so which one is it? Is it prescriptive or is it a pattern? And I'm here to tell you, it's both. It's both. It has to be both. And for those in the room that say, no, it's prescriptive, and we're trying to become the prescription of the early church, I would say, okay, well, we'll wait a couple verses when they're trying to replace Judas and how they do it is by casting lots, rolling dice. They say, well, if we need some more ministry leaders here at Calvary, who should we get? Well, let's roll some dice. Like, no, that's not how we're going to do it. But then there's other patterns that we do follow. And Acts teaches us, as the church, to be absolutely dependent on prayer. To be filled with the Spirit. To follow God's leading. To not take things into your own hands. To those who are leaders in humility and generosity, talk about the community of believers. It is a beautiful picture of the church and how we want to be it for the sake of the world. I am so excited to journey through Acts with you in the next several months. Let's pray. In fact, let's, let's do this. As we conclude, let's all stand. Let's all stand. And as a reminder, prayer, prayer partners down here in the front, as 2020 begins, I don't know what is in your world, griefs, sorrows, questions. I don't know if you want to know what it is to have saving faith in Christ. Come and talk to our prayer partners down here in the front or up in the balconies. But let me pray over you. Father God, as we enter a new decade and begin a new series in the book of Acts, looking at the beauty of the community of believers empowered by your spirit. Lord, we pray that we would be all that the scriptures teach us to be of the bride and body of Christ. Lord, we ask, Father, we ask that the same Holy Spirit that fell upon the apostles and empowered them for ministry, for their speaking and miracles, would be the same Holy Spirit to fill our lives, our marriages, our church. May we see, Lord, not only the truthfulness, but the power of the gospel. And Lord, would you bring revival in our faith, 
in our marriages, in our families, through the preaching of Acts, through the study and prayerful life through Acts. Father, we ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name. Amen.